Is this on? Yes. Oh, yeah. I am? Okay. All right. <laughs> Darn. <We're- laughs> this is when. I feel like I should whisper now. It feels really loud. Okay. Uh, welcome. I'm Amy McKeese, although I think most people already know that. I'm so glad you're here with Don Griffin Hi. Jr. I'm the Don. And the Maureen group. Walker. How are you? It's great to be here. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing a live podcast recording of My Racist Friend, a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that brings us together. I'm holding up Maureen's book. The book is called When Getting Along is Not Enough, Reconstructing Race in Our Lives and Relationships. That's for the people who can't see us. I, I actually had a jumping in place with the book and I okay. thought I might just read this little situation in here. Um, and I think if you look at this, you'll hear a lot of what we've been talking about in the podcast too, things like Um, authenticity and strategies of disconnection. That's Mm -hmm. something that we've talked about. Um, And the one true thing, where is this? Oh, the silencers, okay. So this is in a chapter called Say It Isn't So and Other Race Card Games. And Maureen gives several different examples, but one jumped out to me when I was looking at it. And that is, that one says, Say It Isn't So. Carrie, the mother of nine-year-old Michael, arranged to meet with Michael's fourth grade teacher to discuss comments made to Michael by another white teacher. Michael was one of fewer than 25 black students in his neighborhood school. Most of the other students of color were enrolled in the school through METCO, a state-funded grant program that bused them from Boston urban neighborhoods to predominantly white suburban districts. Michael, along with other neighborhood kids, was playing after school when the teacher told him to stop playing and get in the bus line to go home. Michael replied that he didn't think he needed to get a bus to go two blocks. Not to be dissuaded by this information about his address, the teacher insisted that he leave the playground, adding that she wasn't going to tolerate you Boston kids with your attitudes. When Carrie spoke with Michael's teacher, the teacher explained that pressure on faculty to fill so many roles, one of which was keeping an accurate account and count of students on the playground. She went on to say that the other teacher was a sweet person whom everybody loved, even though she could be a bit stern and old school. She insisted that the teacher didn't have a prejudiced bone in her body and that perhaps Michael would be better served if he were taught not to be so sensitive. And I thought, oh, I've heard that recently. (laughs) Like, I've heard that almost exact. How long ago was that? Uh, That was about 20 years ago. Okay. Or last week. Like, or last week. I think so, that's so, the point. I mean, it, could it could have been be. at any time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, once we start talking, what we find out is that everyone, we're all telling the same stories over and over again, mm-hmm. and somehow we get caught up in this loop, and then what do you do with it? What do you do when someone says, uh, well, you're not really talking about what you think you're talking about? Uh, yeah. So what is, 
What is she talking about? Like, what is a teacher? I think one of the things that we are still grappling with is just how much shame mm -hmm. uh, is involved in race relations in this country. This country, it's, it's just a core of shame around this issue. Once you have a country that really couldn't get formed until uh, people decided, like, how much is, uh, is a human being worth? And, you know, that's, they, they had to kind of signify that in the documents. How much is this human being worth? And then using race as the category by which to do that. Then everybody has to get trained to follow those rules. Now, the thing about it is that you get trained to follow those rules often without talking about what you're doing. So that everybody pretty much learns how to do race in this country. And you, you learn how to live race. You know when to sort of avert your eyes when it's don't feel like making eye contact or maybe having to speak. You, you know, learn who, you know, who can come to the kitchen table. You learn all of those things, but you don't really learn to say what's happening. Mm -hmm. At least that is what happens. And there's this wonderful woman, um, uh, Janet Helms, who started, she's an African-American woman who started uh, researching white racial identity. And one of the sentences she wrote a thousand years ago, or, you know, I'm talking about... been at it a while. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've been talking about, like, uh, you know, 10-year-old sort of time, measuring time. But one of the sentences she wrote that has always uh, stuck with me, she said, you know, one of the things that happens with uh, white people is that you learn how to do race and how to live race, but never really to talk about it because you don't have to. Now, of course, one of the things that happens, and we've seen it in you know, popular media now, everyone talks about the talk. Um, uh, and as an Afri African-American families, the families of color, of course, you have to have the talk, this is how you behave. So there may be more talking about, but you know, do we really plumb the deaths? Do we, do we really uh, talk about everything that gets tied up in the shame? Most of us learn how to just get by which is how, why I wrote the book. Uh, most of us don't get kicked out of places. You know, we, we keep our jobs. Uh, we can stand at the you know, neighborhood barbecue for a few hours and then we go home and say what we really want to say mm -hmm. uh, or something. So <laughs> what, what we are wanting to do now is say, how do we get past all of that? How do we work through the shame of race that we've, that's just been sort of encoded in our cultural DNA and learn how to say what we're doing and be more intentional and more authentic and more caring so that we can get to that place where we are living in our shared humanity. Yeah. I guess you're basically saying it can't go, it, it, it's not gonna disappear, that idea that, uh, that it just doesn't exist. There's racism, but we're not gonna talk about it so it just goes away. Right. That's a false uh, narrative. Absolutely, it's, we, it's like talk, trauma. Yeah. You know, yep. Yep. like this is what's going on when, and, you know, when we, we talk about trauma that we know of, it's one of the things that keeps us so sick uh, is that it is nameless, shameless, and blameless. And in this country, racism has been something like that. You can't name it. If you say what it is, then what's wrong with you? Then the gaslighting starts. Or, um, or and it's, you know, it, sort of diffuse responsibility for what's going on. And the responsibility is diffuse. However, everybody has to claim their part right. of it. Yeah, and actually LaShawn, when she came, was saying that um, Bloomington's, she was talking about the farmer's market and saying mm -hmm. that it was like a trauma response, mm -hmm. is how she described it. Mm -hmm. 
um, which was really shifted my thinking mm -hmm. around it too. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's 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 so interesting how how the same tools are used to put everyone down. So it's not just those same tools are used for women, to, mm -hmm. you know, to gaslight the gaslighting of right. uh, of of how you know you'll be told to that you're being too sensitive too about sensitive. certain things. Oh yeah, uh, that you know, super um, familiar. <laughs> uh, but yes, it's the same tools that mm -hmm. have always been used to to, uh, to uh, keep us all down. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what we were talking about, we were talking about a relationship with power. And if, uh, if we're in a relationship, a dominant relationship with power, I think first of all, you have to know that those kinds of relationships exist primarily to protect themselves. So, you know, okay. uh, one of the things that happens is control of the language and control of the definitions, the control of the terms by which someone else can be known. That's how you know you're in a power over relationship. When someone decides, I think there were a few presidents around here one time that around here, I'm in D.C., <laughs> like you know. right here. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, that had, actually, I think it was one of the Bushes that had um, a habit of uh, saying, oh, I'm going to call you whatever. <laughs> that, yes. You know, like, yeah. you know, uh, yes. I'm going to call you Peanut, or, you know, <laughs> or I'm going to call you Tyrone, I don't know, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but, <laughs> but the idea is, I can name you. And if anyone other than me is old enough to remember Roots when that came on in 1976. Oh that was a huge, that was a huge, very important scene where his name, your name is what I call you. And so this, uh, the same, it's the same dynamic mm -hmm. operating, like taking control of the language, controlling the terms, and then using language to actually obscure reality rather than to clarify reality. Mm -hmm. I, I just realized something. You just don't find very many African American men named Toby. No. <laughs> since then, that just yeah. just doesn't happen. I, I get, go back and look at the movie, I guess, or just YouTube it or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. That made me think. There was a Twitter thread uh, not too long ago that I saw that was a black woman on vacation, and she had moved to Africa to be, so that she wouldn't be a minority, basically. And she was on a beach, a beach vacation. And the two guest houses surrounding her family were white tourists. And the, the woman from one of them came over and introduced herself and she said her name and the woman said, I can't pronounce that, I'm gonna call you W. Right. <laughs> and, and she starts talking about how everybody's learned how to say Buttigieg. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But you can't learn my name. Right. Oh my <laughs> and I yeah. thought, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the ability to name, that is a powerful thing, isn't it? Right. Absolutely. Because right? everybody learned how to say Obama, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, but still they messed that up too, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can all, it pretty quickly turned to uh, some sort of an epithet. Uh -huh. Exactly. <laughs> you know? wow. uh, we made a practice in our house of talking about the Affordable Care Act. Uh huh. Oh, right. Uh, because just the, the saying Obamacare. It was to conjure up notions of something that had been conjured. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, an, it was never really used ever in any complimentary way. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, like, what should be wrong with saying there's a president who cares, right? Bush care. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that would fit. <laughs> it, it doesn't have. But the, the, the idea is that even if we use the word, you know, the tinge around it can still be negative, so that when people were talking about Obamacare, it really started as a negative, and what was so interesting to watch is how it morphed into mainstream conversation. Uh-huh. So rather than talk about the Affordable Care Act, people say, well, that's, you know, that Obamacare, and they continue to do that, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, when you are <laughs> It was always funny, though, because uh, some of the people that hated Obamacare would say, but I like that Affordable Care Act. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Even our current president said, yeah. "Well, wanted to rechange basically what was already just change the name, just and, change the name, yeah. yeah, make it so and make it Trump care." Like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy! There was another story in here that um, was toward the beginning about um, a white woman going into a uh, convenience store. Yes. And I don't remember the exact. She was talking to the lady at the uh, at that that owned either owned the, the convenience yes. store or was managing the, the convenience store. One of the other. She was someone yeah. in authority. Yeah, and she was, she thought yeah. that because they were white, they could right. sit there and talk about the. Uh, this is your story. Why am I telling it? Because you're doing so well. <laughs> And I decided to just take a break. You know, Don has this. <laughs> Tell your story. <laughs> but the notion there is that she went in, and this woman just decided, okay, what we have in common is white skin, and I can bring you in on all of my prejudices. And she found herself, and I think I, I probably included that example for a lot of reasons, she found herself just really dumbfounded, mm-hmm. which is what this sort of trauma of race that we've learned to live with does for us, you know, we get caught off guard, you know, our thinking goes offline, it's like, oh my God, what can I do or say? But this, this um, store manager or whatever her role was said, well, you know what, the black people around here, they're like this, this, and this, and da-da-da-da-da. I'll show you, I'll show you. And then she called in like Exhibit A. And so my friend, I was standing there where this African-American man came in and you know, had like a two or three word exchange, but he was there to be proof of what African-Americans are. And she was standing there saying, what do I say to this woman? I don't want to be a part of this shameful act. And you know, what can I do? But she, you know, she just left totally, that was what she remembered uh, from her. She was on a vacation trip. And mm-hmm. that was what stood out, uh, the fact that she felt so unprepared, as we often are, you know, and I, I um, Bill and I, my husband and I all often say, God, we just wish we were quick with it, because sometimes you really want to be, yeah. you know, and you find yourself as three weeks later, and you go, yeah, well, I, you know, I, I could have, I should have, <laughs> you know, if I get to go back, you know, <laughs> I'll say this, and so that was her feeling, though, that I had, I did not know what to say mm-hmm. in this yes. situation when I was called in to agree with the terms that this woman was setting up and, and the, the way that she wanted me to relate to this man. So, you know, she introduced herself politely and that was that. But of course she left with this, yeah. this like really sour stomach almost, mm-hmm. it, you yeah. know, it was bodily. And was it also, did she feel shame because she wasn't able to, uh, to defend 
Right, uh, right. And, and that's, a, that's a part of it, just not really being able, what do I do right now? And I think one of the things, you know, that, uh, and it's probably very self-serving, but <laughs> one of the things that I talk about is that we do need to give ourselves permission sometimes to just go back and revisit a conversation because it's like any other, um, she didn't expect that to happen. So what mm -hmm. happens when you're shocked? I mean, you, you sort of, you're just trying to survive the moment. You're trying mm -hmm. to get out of it as quickly as possible. Cognition goes offline, pretty much, and you're just trying to survive. Uh, and so sometimes we will find ourselves in that situation. And, you know, as much as we sort of laugh at my family about coulda, woulda, shoulda, mm. you know, I, I would have told them if I had thought about it. But sometimes what we really need, we don't need to tell them at the moment. Sometimes what we really need to do is go back and become clear, as clear as we can be, and then revisit the conversation if we can. Mm -hmm. Now, she was on a road trip, so she couldn't revisit mm -hmm. that conversation, but it was, it was still an experience that she... I, I would that she grew from. Yeah, I could imagine yeah. like taking the time to at least articulate to myself why is this like I know it's gross, mm -hmm. but why exactly? And mm -hmm. what was she trying to say? And what was the unspoken part mm -hmm. that I was you know as the white person there would have been supposed to agree with? Yeah, and the thing that you said after that was. Uh, that it was remarkable in the, this woman's experience, but it's not that uncommon. Um, and what is common is that our definitions and ideas about race don't always translate into effective relational action. Right. And I think that is, right. that's definitely something that for me doing this mm. podcast and getting to, getting to really hear things through Don's perspective that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of mm -hmm. because my experience doesn't include that has definitely made me see both the things we have in common that I didn't know we had in common, mm -hmm. um, like some of the strategies of disconnection, mm -hmm. but also it's easier for me to see ways that I'm complicit mm -hmm. and that, that has been super helpful mm -hmm. for me and, and shifting how I am. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things we have to do is we are all confronted with that question sometimes, in what ways, how am I being complicit? What am I trying to save here? How am I silencing myself? What am I afraid of? I only wish I had that filter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta have a little filter. Yes. I don't have enough. Yeah. You, but you do. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I had a sim. Believe it or not, I the the story that uh, that uh, that that woman experienced mm -hmm. that's happened to me on more than similar situation on more than one occasion because. Mm -hmm. As a real estate agent, I'm talking to people on the phone all the time, and they don't know. They have no idea. Right. What, mm -hmm. you know, so sure, I'll have right. someone, uh, the first time I, it happened to me, I was 20 years old, and, uh, and this couple, they, they were coming down to Bloomington tomorrow, and, you know, we, we live outside of uh, Chicago, and it's just, too, it's getting too bad. It's just too dangerous. Not real dangerous, but there's just too many black people and too many, you know, people of color, you know, and so we really, it's really important that we find a school system that doesn't have any black people in it. And I'm sitting there going, um, be okay. 
I said, okay. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> oh, my God, the look on their face when I came through the door. Nicole is laughing. My wife's in the audience because she remembers. She remembers the look of, what? What? You had to do that, though, and it's funny, but it's also I, it, it, awful. It was, like that's it, really. I was, you know, you know that was the first. That was only the first, the first time, time that happened not, to me. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. it's happened to me more than more than once, where someone has talked. They, they were they're they're just being real with me, and then they mm-hmm. they see they now they look, now they're smart enough to look me up on right. Facebook or Nowadays, look at you know now it's know different. Like. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. some of the older people don't don't. <laughs> Facebook and they have these beliefs and it comes out and uh, and uh, one, yeah finally owning my own business sometimes I confront them I'm like okay right. look you got kids uh, it's too late for you I told this one couple I said you know it's way too late for you <laughs> but maybe your son here will learn that you can't do this to people you know? right Right. So anyway, right. I didn't mean to get off subject because we were, that's all, we, were no, rolling. That's we were doing something positive no, 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 here. No, we're good. That's, that's what I mean, though. Like, I learn these things that it, I, can't ima- I can't imagine. Like, I think that the racism that I have super-duper internalized that I have to, like, work to shake up is more of this uh, super well-mannered. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like super well-mannered racism. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, like it's like the colorblind, like I don't see color. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think cause it's too scary maybe. It was like we if hit I this see, place in our, yeah. in our history where we were suddenly like, like the civil rights was maybe frightening. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly we had to say, well, there's no color. It turns out we're all, we all get along and we're all the same. And mm-hmm. I know you're doing the <laughs> eyebrows at me. She, well, you, she describes it as a salad. I think she describes it as a fruit salad in her uh, in your book. Do you remember that? Right. Okay. <laughs> but doing this, sitting here yeah. talking, this right. is what we should be doing. This right. is what everyone should be doing, and not yeah. just through races, race, you know, different mm-hmm. races, but just people of different walks of life. Whether right. social and economics, uh, we all need to start talking to mm-hmm. each other because we can't be. We're, we're never going to get as close as we could be if we mm-hmm. don't talk about, talk about the differences, talk about the, pro- the problems. The problems. What, the problems. Yeah. And I think one, one of the things that happens is then we, when we use the little, you know, the fruit salad and all of that, mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's like Sesame Street, you know? You have Abby, whatever. Abby, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Abby. I know too many. One, yeah, yeah, that, yeah and someone else that's fuzzy and they're going, oh, I have pink dots and you have blue fur and da 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 and we're different and da 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 and it's cute on Sesame Street. I mean, it's, we've never had that issue in the United States. The United States has never had a problem with, with difference. The United States decided to stratify difference and that's the problem. I got you. you. Know, so then yep. when you start talking about, oh, well, that's a strawberry and that's a blueberry and that's a banana, it's all a nice salad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's, that's when it gets a bit crazy and totally insulting because that's how it's gotten us to where we are now. And where we are now is pretty much in a pit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, dealing with lots of racialized backlash. 
dealing with uh, the kinds of atrocities that, you know, maybe people, you know, thought, uh, where did, you know, where did Dylan Roof come from? I don't know. Like, how could you that know? be? <laughs> yeah. But of course we know how it could be, you know, when we are living in a world pretending that we don't see what we see and that we mm -hmm. don't know what we know uh, and that somehow, um, somehow then that makes all the shame disappear so that, you know, okay, if I say that I'm colorblind, well, first of all, I'm lying. Right. You yeah. know, well, some people are colorblind, but not in the sense that... <laughs> Those people are right. But, but I, I mean, not in the sense when we're talking about race. And so that when someone, I've, I've started to say, okay, so I look like a Norwegian male to you. No, you don't. Okay. All right, good. All right. But the idea of saying in order for us to get along, I've, I've got to not really, we've got to not see each other. And that gets us nowhere. Mm -hmm. you know, so uh, what, you know, I'd like for us not to go down that sort of escapist path and just start talking about what is really happening and also to realize that what we see is certainly, that's not most of what's going on. You know, you know most of reality is stuff that we're not seeing anyway. So that when I look up at someone and I make a snap judgment, which I have been known to do from time to time, uh, <laughs> when, I, when I do that, I've got to realize, okay, I just created a headline and an entire narrative about somebody within 30 seconds. I know nothing about that person. Mm -hmm. Or I may know something, but there's so much more that I don't know that uh, perhaps, and that's when you talk about having the conversations, let's sort of humanize it a little bit. We can still end up disagreeing, that's fine, you know, but uh, you are not, you know, that little headline I turned you into just in, you know, looking at you for maybe less than 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. I'm not there yet on the, uh, you know, I do want to know where people, you know, I, mm -hmm. I do want to know, you know, when I see someone that's racist, I mean, that clearly hates mm -hmm. me, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know if I have the power yet to, or the patience to try to find out where they come from or why they hate me. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I absolutely know what you're saying. I'm I trying. I want to yeah. be there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I want to be there. I want to want to be there more. I want to want to be there. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think the other thing that we have to know is that we grow in all kinds of relationships. I don't believe in staying in dangerous relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And if I'm in a relationship with, something, with someone who is dangerous, uh, for whatever reason they're dangerous, you know, somebody might be able to help them with that. That mm -hmm. might not be me. Mm -mm. Right. And, you know, so, you know, I think there are times to move on. Yeah. And there's plenty of people who we can educate and get to know that want to know and want to be educated. There's mm -hmm. plenty of, I mean, mm -hmm. so, so maybe we're just, maybe it, we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. uh, you know? Yeah, I, when I hear you say that, I think I don't want you to be out there, but like we, with super racist, like. But we are every day. I know. Like, that, yeah. I we know just that don't you know. Are, but I, mean, I guess. Yeah. I guess I don't want. I, I want I the white people in your life to be like, come get their people and make them better somehow. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, kinda. I mean, I wish, but, I mean. How many, if we raised our hands, how many of us have 
very racist uh, uh, or sexist or homophobic people in their family that we had, uh, that, that we were with uh, for Thanksgiving or so Christmas. Oh, you're yeah. narrowing it down so much. People can't. No, raise I'm just their saying. I mean, I mean, okay. <laughs> oh I'm, I'm just saying. Okay, but we we have those. All of us do. And right. I think the people that come to Thanksgiving, I do think it's sort of our like it's it's, it's our the duty. people in that family's job to mm-hmm. to talk to them, even when it's super awkward, and they're like, "Don't make Thanksgiving all awkward." Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you make Thanksgiving awkward. Mm-hmm. You can tell we're in a UU church because very few people raise their hands when that happened. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe it's because you just, you know, you're, you've either educated the people that are in your house and said, that's not going to happen, mm-hmm. or you just decided not to go to, <laughs> go to their house again. <laughs> but that's a beautiful thing because if we were somewhere else, you know, <laughs> half of the crowd would have raised their hands. Yeah. So. I think we can, in our relationships, we can know what's non-negotiable. And I think there are times, but there are certain things that are just non-negotiable. So if we're at a table, I can say this is something that does not, it's not going to work for me. Or, and especially if it's my table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if it's not, I also can leave and say, and, and, and be very clear about that. Where I'd like for us to, you know, to get to more often <laughs> uh, is knowing when to when to try to engage someone cognitively and, quote, educate someone, and when to know that it's just not going to happen because a person is, um, oftentimes the hatred is more about I've got to protect my sense of who I am, and people get very addicted to their identities. And I actually think of it sometimes. We were talking earlier today about, you know, it doesn't go well. If someone's, like, blind drunk, you can't have a good conversation with them. I mean, typically that doesn't go well, right? Uh, so, and, and I think that happens with the shame of race in this country and the way people have imbibed it, like you've got to be better than somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, there, is, um, there was a very old movie, uh, I guess it's in the 90s, maybe? Mississippi Burning? Yeah, oh, don't get me started. Yes. Don't get started. Okay. No, that, that made a lot of people back. <laughs> After watching that, we were, we were like, let's go. Okay, we got to go. <laughs> we need to go protest something. We were so mad after that movie. Well, the interesting thing about the, the, the movie, that was during the days um, when Bill and I were doing anti-racism workshops together. Okay. And uh, uh, we met some people, these two people, um, Ron Chisholm and David Billings. David was a minister, and they were both very key uh, people in this group in New Orleans called People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. And um, Billings, Dave Billings, was a white male who grew up in Macomb, Mississippi, surrounded by the Klan, and it was just a part of his, you know, mm. daily life. Everything was racialized. He'd say, you know, they couldn't talk about the weather without talking about, you think it's hotter for the white folks, or? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just what he grew up with. And, you know, he grew up participating in that, and he is probably now one of the most effective anti-racism trainers that I know. Wow. And when people talk to him, they say, well, who are you to do this work? I mean, you have the history that you have. What makes you qualified to do this? And he said, a clear education. Hmm. I knew what I was being taught from day one. So it was, it was, in some sense, it was easier 
for him to sort of turn and say, wait a minute, this is the wrong side of life to be on. Whereas if you are living with ambivalence, or ambivalent, uh, ambiguous mm -hmm. uh, messages, if yeah. you are living with a certain spoken word, but the behavior is different from the spoken word, what do you, what do you believe? So that's a little bit harder to deal with. And he was able to confront his shame more um, directly. Wow. He was, you know, and, and so, and I got way off on a tangent. What I was gonna talk about was the movie. And there, and there is a place in the movie, I thought about Dave and Ron because they said the only thing wrong with the movie is that the FBI were not heroes. But uh, the, um, there's a scene in there where um, this guy's riding along uh, with his father. You, you remember this? And uh, they were t there was a farmer uh, that they called the farmer, um, the farmer, an old black farmer named Monroe. And Monroe was a good farmer and he started doing well on his farm and he had a mule. And that mule was, you know, they were really just you know, doing so much better than this guy's daddy was. Mm -hmm. um, and so one day, Monroe's mule just turned up dead. And then Monroe left and probably went north or something. And so this guy says he's walking, he's riding along in the car, talking with his dad, and all of a sudden it occurred to him, my dad killed Monroe's mule. And without saying anything, they just sort of looked at each other and just felt the charge of what had happened. And his father said, son, if you ain't better than a nigga, who are you better than? Mm -hmm. So that's a very, very clear lesson, mm -hmm. but I think it's a lesson that's taught systematically through, in every major institution historically in this country, that, you know, there is a stratification, and mm -hmm. anybody who comes into this country has to figure out how to do it. Uh, how to, where do you fit in this mm -hmm. system? And until we start really dealing with that, we'll probably dance around lots of issues. We'll, we'll dance around immigration uh, because we're not dealing with the polarity that got set up in the, you know, with, you know, you know white on top, white supremacy, black inferiority, so that anyone who comes into this country pretty much has to figure out, well, where am I gonna be here? And we also, we have to remember there are, there's trillions of dollars behind that model. That's mm -hmm. it. It's, it's yeah. all of us are in that, mo mm -hmm. <laughs> we're being controlled by money mm -hmm. to, st to stick, you know, even the, the, the racist dude, the, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're being controlled to go after each other so that we don't focus on who's actually pulling the levers. Mm -hmm. Well, Lyndon Johnson, you know, the, uh, you've probably seen that quote a lot recently because I've seen it somewhat just showing up on the internet a lot recently. But Lyndon Johnson said, if you can convince uh, the poorest white man that he is better than uh, the highest black man, mm -hmm. you can pick his pocket and he'll never know it. In fact, in fact if you can tell him he's real, really good, he'll empty his pockets for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, and we can, you know, I and, mean. And keep buying your red hats. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Have you seen okay. the new red hat though? There's a new red hat now uh -huh. that says, make America Greta again. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. <funny. laughs> I like that.
I like that. So, and I, I can, while you were talking, I was thinking of like the whole white savior thing too, because that's mm -hmm. the same model. Like it's mm -hmm. still like the, the white person is still above. Right. And let's pick out a deserving black person to save. Yeah. You know, so we find Forrester or whatever it is, Blindside or all of those. Oh, yeah, Blindside. Uh, <laughs> all of those movies, you Help know. Help in Space. Uh, which, what, what was that? Help in Space. What? Um, not Help in Space. Uh, what was it called? Uh, hidden Tell hidden Figures. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Help in Space. You call it the Help in Space? Sorry. It should have been called Help in Space. <laughs> It should have. Sorry. <laughs> that, that was well played, Don. That was oh very good. <laughs> I don't think that's original. Well, I hadn't heard of it. <sighs> well, and then of course the other formula happens too. Toni Morrison wrote a very thin, very important little book called *Playing in the Dark*, hmm. and she is one of the uh, one of the people we think about popular culture and you know, the movies, and she talked about, um, and, and that's the help again, mm -hmm. when uh, black people show up in movies, their only job was to be at the service of, to save somehow, because you know, the term the magical Negro. Mm -hmm. So you know, have back events and all of these people, I'm gonna show you how to be a better human being. They have absolutely, they are de, like they are decontextualized, they have absolutely no, family or mm -hmm. interest other than sort of being there to say wise things and to lift, you know, lift up the protagonist. Green Book Green really Book. frustrates me. Green really Book. Really frustrates me. Absolutely, absolutely. How yeah. is it that the person that the book is absolutely... Who's famous. Are, you're right. Who's famous. <laughs> Who is famous. How is, how is it that he got Best Supporting Actor? Yep. Because it wasn't about him anyway. It was about his driver. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we talked about that. I said, if they ever make a movie about me, some, the, the star will be the one that's uh, Amy. Maybe right? I yeah, can yeah. star in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, but she, you know, or, I'm sorry. I would love, it's okay. you, I, you are the star Fair. in my life. I mean, okay. You, it, you know, okay. so that's. That's good. <laughs> no, and it's, yeah, actually there's a, a, a Someone made a, a a remake of that that's really hilarious. A oh. Key and Peel, maybe. Uh huh. Of the of, of the, the Green, Green Book. book. Or yes. Are you sure? Or, or, I thought they made one of Driving Miss Daisy. No, they mashed them all. Another up. one, right? Like right. I mean, that's what Green up, Book right? is. Yeah. It's driving Miss Daisy yeah. again. And it's very funny and super uh, rated R. Okay. <laughs> just, just you know, in case that bothers anyone. <laughs> we'll be okay. Oh, man. How do we get on that subject? See, this is what we do. I see. <laughs> we just talk, and we end up going all different kinds of places. Yes. And uh, it's wonderful, right? It is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know if, um, if we had questions that anyone had. We can totally just talk on our own, but I wanted to check before it got too close to the end. Yeah, because... See if anyone has any questions since we've got Maureen, like, right here. <laughs> and Don and Amy. And Don and Amy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I guess I'd like... Is it Maureen? Yes. I, I, I would like to hear what would have moved us forward as a humanity 
in the in the situation where the white women were um, sort of playing games and didn't really agree with each other. Um, what, what do you suggest could have been a, a response that would have been more honest and, and more uh, progressive? One of the things, and I think you've said that you've talked about it um, before, I think, I'd say in that situation, I think the question that was most in my mind, like what kept, what kept the silence? Uh, and, and, and how the paralysis was happening. And you know, that's just you know, probably not to be discussed right now. But I think you've talked in the past about the one true thing, you mm -hmm. might say. Mm -hmm. um, one true, the good thing about one true thing is not the only true thing. You know? <laughs> it's not a perfect true thing. It's just something you might say to create a pause and a breath so that the pattern gets disrupted. So maybe, she, hmm, and other people can answer this too, maybe she might have said something like, wow, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable with this, or can you tell me again why you'd like me to meet this gentleman? Or you know, it could be anything. What you want to do is just insert a pause. And now, likely, it wouldn't be met, I mean, how many people get happy when you insert a pause or try to disrupt something? No one's happy, but that's fine. You know, I think one of the things we have to do is learn to live with discomfort. Yeah. I don't think we go around, I, I certainly don't think it suits any of us to go around making people feel unsafe and being aggressive and all, you know, in, in ways that are just for the aggression for the sake of aggression, you know. Uh, but I think there were ways, um, she didn't have to say, what are you doing, you racist? You know, she didn't have to do that, but she could have said, I'm a little bit puzzled. You said you wanted me to meet this gentleman? You know, just creating a pause. And perhaps the next time, you know, she might, the, that store manager, I'm not saying, you're not, you're not even really trying to be a, win a convert, like what's your goal anyway? Your goal is to try to stand in integrity. You're not really trying to convert anybody. You're not trying to educate anybody. Uh, one of the, I, I might tell this uh, story in the book, or just maybe something I know, um, and I've written about it somewhere else, but one of the, um, a very powerful experience for us, we were visiting with a friend of mine, a friend of ours now, um, who, uh, a former Catholic priest, uh, had devoted his life to just social justice. He had been in uh, a, a parish in Mississippi and Alabama during the 60s and you know, had places of sanctuary. That was just his life. Mm -hmm. And later his life became to leave the priesthood and marry an attorney and become a stockbroker. And it's you know, <laughs> really good too. Uh, but uh, he described having a dinner party one night and just had a lot of people. These were all affluent white people who were mostly retired and somehow the other, maybe there had been a glass of wine or two involved, and somehow the other people, you know, started talking about what it was like to live in the town. And one of the gentlemen there who, you know, actually I happen to know, and this is the scary part, the, the gentleman who did it was someone who was CEO of a major medical group. But uh, he said, well, I, every time I drive down the street and I see those black guys out there and they're, you know, the pants dragging the ground, they aren't doing anything, or, any, you know, they just would have been better off as slaves. And so, you know, 
I don't know that there was an audible gasp in the room, uh, but it just sort of landed. Now, this, in addition to, of course, disagreeing, for our friend, it was just deeply, deeply hurtful that someone would sit in his home and say something like this about, you know, fellow human beings. He had to make a choice. And at that point, he decided that the choice was to get clear himself. And it was the next day or maybe two days later that he called the guy and said, you said this at the table, this is the impact it had on me. It's deeply hurtful. I totally disagree. I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm, and I'm, dis I'm disappointed that you believe that. And clearly we could talk about why, but that's not what I'm here to do. I just want to let you know that I'm hurt and offended that you said that. And I really don't want that to ever happen again in my home. Now, the person who said it uh, said, wow, thank you because you could have tried to turn everybody against me. You could have talked about me behind my back, you, but you came to me with it. Now, that's one of the things, when I talk about mindful authenticity, that for me is one of the hardest things to do because I told you in my family, my husband and I, we're always talking about coulda, woulda, shoulda, I shoulda said right then and I would've done this, you know, mm -hmm. and that's not always the best thing to do because then it's like just my amygdala reacting to your, my fear center in my brain reacting to your fear center in your brain. We aren't going anywhere like that. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's really important yeah, that's a filter, Don. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I need to learn. I mean, I need to. That's, it's uh, really important to just take the yeah. time and say, let me get clear. What is my goal? My goal is to live with integrity, to be in this, you know, to treat this relationship with integrity, and I can't do that until I treat myself with integrity. Mm -hmm. He didn't call to convert him. He didn't call to say, how can you think that? He didn't do any of that. It was like, mm -hmm. this is what I need to say about where I stand in the world. And you let that, you know, you scatter that. You know, it's sort of like scattering the seeds. They, they go where they go. And, you know, but, you know, you are, you are standing a little stronger in what's true for you. And oh, if, if you do what you, or what I do now. No, I'm saying what he did, <laughs> okay. what he did. No, I'm I not, love I'm, that. I'm definitely not saying that that's something that I would have done in the moment. I was just, I'm just so, I guess, amazed at his presence that's of mind awesome because I, to do that. I think sometimes I'm afraid that if I don't say it now, that it'll never right. get said. Right. That, that I have that adrenaline, I have that, uh, you know, and sometimes I'm like, look, I'm the one at the table right now. Mm -hmm. Like no one else is no at the table. To, yes. Mm -hmm. And if I don't tell these people this now, and I can do it in a respectful way, but mm -hmm. if I don't tell them now, then, then I've, I, then I've kind of let them down as a friend. Right, and I think here as and now is, can be very appropriate. I, I'm not, certainly not saying that doing something in the moment. Not all the time though, I think but, you're but right. Not, I, yeah, I but not to... all the time. Sometimes it takes the, let me get clear because it probably isn't gonna help for me to turn over this table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think Part of what that does is it sucks the energy out of a fight on it mm -hmm. because you can't fight with him over what he You can't like what he said wasn't something that the guy could come back and be like well, you're wrong like <laughs> no because it was more like 
he was, if, if he was that clear about it, there's not as much room, whereas if you say, if, if you argue on, in a more up here place, I'm pointing at my head. But um, <laughs> for those For people who cannot see. <laughs> um, where, and, and I'm thinking of, of that woman in the convenience store and of being mm -hmm. able to say, I'm uncomfortable and I'm, or I'm confused and I don't know what to do right now mm -hmm. is a lot, to me, it feels more powerful than you're racist. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm -hmm. Because yeah. it, it, you can't really argue with my yeah. experience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. people will, but. Yeah. Nowadays, they'll call you a snowflake or th th there's, yeah, you're being too sensitive. Going back to that, this mm -hmm. is, it's, a, it's kind of a different time now. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, the, the guy that, I don't know when that story was said. Uh, about a year ago. Okay, well, Cosby <laughs> was in jail, so he, could, he yeah. didn't have that. <laughs> but uh, no, Cosby would say, yeah, you're right. I mean, mm -hmm. Cosby has said the same kind of things about mm -hmm. African-American men. Mm -hmm. And so some, sometimes what these racists have been doing is they, racist, sexist, whatever, they, they've been going out and finding other, finding that one black person that right. believes in what they had to right. say and say, well, no, I, such and such said it. Like, right, so it must be fine. It must be fine. It must be fine. Yes. It's like, show me all the other ways you emulate black people. Yes. <laughs> right? You know, what are the other things you want to do that you think are so totally black? Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> I think, was it, was it Chris Rock who said, uh, nobody in here wants to be me, and I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's funny. Um, I was just going to say that I had a similar experience than you had. Uh-huh. I was, uh, years and years ago when I was running apartments, um, I had a mother come in with her son, and he want, he's going to IU, and he wanted to live in the apartment complex that I was managing at the time. And I said, uh, the mother said to me, um, can you tell me how many black people live in this complex? And I said, I don't know where I had the presence of mind to say this, but I said, aside from my husband, there are only about three. <laughs> and, I love it. And the son looked at his mom and said, oh, real nice mom, open mouth, insert foot. Yeah. <laughs> but then later on in life, I had um, a person that I knew, and this is, this is where I think it was easy for me to, to talk with that person who was a stranger and come mm -hmm. back with a retort. Mm -hmm. um, but when um, I had a person that I considered a friend and I actually um, worked in some capacity with him, um, come say, we were t somehow we were talking about the N-word. And um, I said, it's not, you, you know, it's not appropriate to say this word at any time. And he's, he said, yeah, I agree, I agree. He says, but you know, I've said this when I was in a car and maybe someone cut me off and I said that. And, you know, and I said, and, and because he said it, and he, I considered him a friend at the time, I was like paralyzed, just like you say. I was mm -hmm. almost paralyzed. I didn't know what to say back to him. I wanted to say something back, um, but I was, you know, I was just like dumbfounded that he would even say something like this. And um, I still see this person, mm -hmm. and he is now elderly, and um, 
I remember wanting to, just like you said, I wanted to go, because he also went to my church, and I wanted to go to the minister and tell the minister what he had done, you know? And I'm glad I didn't, you know, because of what you said. I'm glad I didn't, but you made me feel better because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I could go to him now and say something to him, but he's at the point in his life where um, he probably wouldn't even remember that he said it, to tell yeah, you the truth. yeah. But um, but you made me feel a lot better about that. That I you know that I didn't. I froze. Okay. I just didn't mm-hmm. know what to say, and I, mm-hmm. I blamed myself years later for that. Mm-hmm. That I couldn't think of something to say back to him. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I just let it go. I didn't mm-hmm. say anything. So mm-hmm. anyway, thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that too. Because I think uh, one of the other things that it shows is how we have our. Our belief systems are on so many levels, and so much of what we believe back uh, bypasses conscious intent, right? So um, there are certain words that I've said to myself um, when I was commuting to work every day. I would say, I'm going to try to get through the first three miles without calling somebody this. It never happened. <laughs> you know, by the time of the corner, I've probably said it three times. <laughs> so, so lots of things happen in traffic, and I think some of those things, though, that we, you know, just go back to racialized uh, content. You know, we have the beliefs that we carry publicly, and we have the beliefs that we carry when we talk among ourselves and we have the beliefs where we go, oh my God, I'm not the kind of person who'd ever do or say that, until we do. And then we are not able to move forward until we are able to take in that part of ourselves that we said, oh, that's not me, I would never do it. You know, a lot of things we say we'd never do, we do. You know, we set up these little caricatures and say, that's not me. Mm. But, you know, there's a lot of not me, you know, in the person that I might despise. And in, in fact, maybe some of that antipathy is about seeing some part that I don't want to see. So I, I think I really appreciate your uh, raising that story because I think it just sort of humanizes all of us. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to call myself out here. <laughs> So I have a story where I was the one who said something offensive. Mm -hmm. And the person I was speaking with responded in a way that really stayed with me. Um, I was talking with a white friend of mine. And I was talking, I don't even remember what we were talking about. But I mentioned some other people. They were kind of like white trash. I use Mm -hmm. that phrase. They're kind of white trashy. Mm -hmm. And she didn't say anything. She just looked at me and was totally quiet. And in that moment, I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) it was her silence that spoke to me really powerfully right she Mm -hmm. didn't yell she didn't try to teach me Mm -hmm. she Mm -hmm. didn't do any of that Mm -hmm. it was just she was just looking at me Mm -hmm. and it was like oh man wow Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe I went too far there. Mm -hmm. So I often think a really powerful response is just to kind of take in what that person's saying. And you don't have to say anything back. Mm -hmm. I don't think not speaking is condoning what Mm -hmm. someone says. I think many times not speaking is just, okay, I can hear you. I don't Mm -hmm. agree with it necessarily, but Mm -hmm. I can hear you. Mm -hmm. And I can can, um, kind of 
tell you how I feel necessarily without saying it. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it was there's something in her silence was really mm -hmm. powerful to me. She right. didn't condone what I said, nor did she come out and you're you know, yeah. she didn't read yeah. me the right act. Because that could have created a defensive posture right. in me. And you know, mm -hmm. that's what I want to avoid. I mm -hmm. wanna I don't know that I could I want I want to call someone out, quote unquote, without creating defensiveness in them, where mm -hmm. that they start screaming at you and you you know. What mm -hmm. what's your definition of white trash, though? Oh, like like low class. Um, is it is it socioeconomics or is it be, or or does it have to do with their thought process? Oh. Um, and would your friend know this? Oh, okay. I think in that moment I was using the term white trash as like socioeconomic, not necessarily something that that person. Oh, well, th that isn't good. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I know her. <laughs> Hang on, what's going on here? <laughs> I, I think I was just describing someone as what I, you know, I don't, I don't even think I knew the person that I was referring mm -hmm. to beyond like what they, I was making a snap judgment and I mm -hmm. was like, you know, describing mm -hmm. them as kind of white trash. Mm -hmm. But, but my friend was like not having it and she just mm -hmm. silently, she's a pretty, I don't know, I would describe her as a pretty enlightened person. She's, mm. you know, mm -hmm. she, she just, she just kind of um, told me what she felt without speaking. Mm -hmm. So anyway. I think there's silence and there's silence, right? There's the silence that is a very powerful presence that she stood there with you in that moment and you were with her in that moment and neither of you could avoid what had just happened. And that was, you know, that's how I think how relationships evolve. That wasn't the silence of, it sounds like it was not the silence of avoiding. Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah or, right, right. And I think one of the things when we talk about silencers, we, um, Dave and, uh, Dave and Ron, these two people I talked about from uh, uh, New Orleans, would say, okay, we'd have these anti-racism workshops, and they'd say, okay, this is what's gonna happen. We're gonna come in here, and we're gonna start talking about race. First of all, we're not going to try to convince anybody that racism is. If you don't believe it, then, you know, you probably don't wanna be here. <laughs> uh, but they said, what's gonna happen, though, in uh, a few minutes, a white woman will stand up and start talking about sexism. And then a white man will stand up and start talking about classism. And like, you know, maybe all of a sudden become a Marxist. And it's like, she's, he says it's all in service of escapism. So there is the silence of escapism. Uh, there are the silencers that say, we're going to talk about anything except what you want to talk about. Let's move it off and say it's something else. I do think that those of us who are committed uh, to growing in more anti-racist ways, I think it is important for us to know what those silences are. When someone tries to make you say, this is anything except racism, or this is the same as, well, you know, you know, people don't like me, and people have said that I, uh, because I'm uh, too tall. It's like, wait, <laughs> you, know, you know, but any kind of false equivalence. So I think we do have an, uh, an opportunity and an obligation to just to recognize when we are being silenced, when the silence is in service of escapism. But I think it's such a powerful example of uh, that's a powerful example, really, of empathy. You I know? have to admit, though, I, I do that. 
I'll, mm -hmm. I'll take mm -hmm. what we do because sometimes it's a little, it, it is a little heavy mm -hmm. when I'm the black person in the room. You mm -hmm. understand what I, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I have to take, uh, and, and, and sometimes I think maybe, um, so what did you call it, escapism? Mm -hmm. Is that what you said? You, you know, sometimes uh, uh, maybe it feels better to, to know that other people might be experiencing something like me. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, so, absolutely. Um, if I'm doing that, I, I want to apologize. So, but anyway. No, no. I, th I think there are these. Um, when I say you know we have an opportunity and an mm. obligation to recognize silencers and to resist them, that doesn't mean we have to always be on. I think every now and then, escape is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Go take a break. I don't think we can stop, but you know, we are human beings. We get tired. We do rest. We all need to rest, and we all need to have places of respite. We all need to have those places that we can go to and just look at somebody, and nobody has to say a word, and you know somebody gets you. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you, feel, you feel held. Yeah. So, yeah, let's hold that up, too. Okay. Yeah. I, I kind of think there's a middle ground uh, between being silent and, you know, feeling like you have to attack the other person. And what's worked for me in a number of situations is just to quietly say, you know, I disagree with what you're saying. I believe X. And then be silent. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just kind of stating where I am at mm -hmm. and that I'm not going to continue mm -hmm. in that conversation. Mm -hmm without putting anything back on them. Mm -hmm. And they can decide what they want to do with mm -hmm. it, but I'm just not going to mm -hmm. be a part of it anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, on Facebook, I've been seeing a lot lately about the fact that we need to hold not just Trump responsible, but also all of those people who have been silently complicit when they've had positions of authority and power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when Black Lives Matter came up, yeah, I thought it was responsibility of every person mm -hmm. to speak up and to claim a space mm -hmm. in the argument. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel that now about issues of white privilege, and I'm not perfect on it, and I hope that I get called on it. Mm -hmm. When something, you know, I, I hope mm -hmm. I get directly and immediately get called on it. Mm -hmm. But I also am increasingly calling on people just by saying, you know, that isn't an assumption you can make about the world. Mm -hmm. I believe something different. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'd, I'd like to make an argument for that, in fact, uh, after our congregational meeting at church, I pulled out my, my Black Lives Matter. Just so this reminds me that when I am in a situation, I need to say something. This kind of holds mm -hmm. me responsible for speaking up. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I guess I am a different perspective on, on the speaking up and the silence. I really, I really mm -hmm. think it. It's something mm -hmm. important for me anyway, mm -hmm. and I would hope mm -hmm. some other people feel that as well. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you also, you're saying it's really important to stay clear. 
very, really stay clear. And sometimes when people speak immediately, again, it's when you're bombarded, hard to be very clear. So, and I think people will find different pathways to do what they need to do. Uh, and I absolutely agree, we all have a responsibility to do something. How we do it may be different. Yeah, I think of how hooked I get mm -hmm. quickly when I, mm -hmm. like if someone says something like, well, a woman can't do that, or like, mm -hmm. and I'm immediately hooked and, and I can feel the red like mm -hmm. coming up and I know that it's unlikely that I'm gonna say something that does anything other than confirm what they are. Like I'm not, I'm gonna mm -hmm. rage instead of Mm -hmm. Instead of be, it hadn't happened in a long time where I've been so rageful that I couldn't speak. But at the times that I felt that, what I'm trying to say is mm -hmm. I would not say what I want to say. I would say, like the anger, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it and it wouldn't make the change that I want to make. Mm -hmm. So this is like res, res, you want to be. Uh, it's like responsible responding. Yes, I want to be yeah. in my body when I respond, right. like all yeah. the way. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it takes me some time to get there. Yeah. I think one of the worst things we can do is demand perfection of ourselves. I don't even know what that means. I, I, I don't even know what perfection would look <laughs> what, like. But, what you would know. that look like? <laughs> but, but I think it's one of the worst things we can do. And, and I think that's how we silence ourselves sometimes. Is I don't have the perfect thing to say. I'm not, you know, then, so I, I must be quiet. Yeah. I just wanted to say something that was more just a clarifying. Maureen, when you were saying um, about the false equivalencies, when someone's trying to shut you up or mm -hmm. silence you by saying, oh, no, it's, you know, mm -hmm. racist, experiencing racism is the same as I experience being tall or, mm -hmm. you know, the orange hair, I'm always getting comments <laughs> or something. Nobody wants to get it. But I think what Don was saying is that he might use it, he might be comparing a, an experience to help someone understand something. Oh, yes. Which mm -hmm. I think is different when it's being used to silence somebody who's trying right. to talk about race. Absolutely. As opposed to saying, you know, hey, if, have you ever experienced this as a white woman yeah. when a man is treating you this way? That's well, how I'm you know, absolutely. I think it's a, a yeah. little different. So I, it was just a po yeah. point of well, clarity, thank not you. a question. Thank you, then, yeah. if, if, if for that clarification, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. one thing that's Thank hit me really hard as, as Don and I have had these conversations is um, how my reaction to the 2016 election, like for me, just felt so foreign and nuts and like how, what world do I live in where someone that assaults women was just elected and no one even cared and, and I was then raging about Joe Biden in, in our last one, and Don was like, Amy, you're not gonna have a perfect candidate, and I've known this for a really long right. time. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, right. oh. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. I see that. Like, like, I could see that, like, and that helps me, I think that helps me be a better person. Like seeing that 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 it's it's opened my eyes to things that were there yeah, all but, along. But I want you to get mad. Yeah, I, I, I think I think maybe it, in, in a sense, having Trump. Uh, I mean, all this happening, I finding so out too. how people yeah. really do think. 
-hmm. It might be the best thing that ever happened to our country. It's mm -hmm. going to be a reset. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's kind of scary, but mm -hmm. I mean, hopefully if, if we're not blown up or anything. Um, right. I mean, I know I, I, that's, mm -hmm. I'm joking, but I mean, mm -hmm. boy, mm -hmm. it is scary. It is really scary mm -hmm. right now, but mm -hmm. we're talking, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think we all kind of, that day, that, 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 that morning, we all sat there and said, what the heck? Yeah. Is, this what, is this what half the people believe? Mm -hmm. And it's only gotten, it's only gotten yeah. worse. Mm -hmm. It's For only me, gotten worse. The world worse. felt so dangerous then. It's mm -hmm. worse. And, and, to feel, and to realize that that, that, was a, that was a big revelation for me and that you already knew that. I think so. You knew mm -hmm. it, right? I mean, our everyday has, as a black person, as a person of mm -hmm. color, we've been experiencing all along. All along. Yeah. All along. The yes. days of Reagan that everybody is so excited with, you know, they, they, they look back as, as, with fond memories. That, that's not, it, we didn't feel the same way. No, mm -hmm. no. Um, no. no. It, it, well, it is interesting. I mean, I did have the sense of, okay, I don't know if I'm going to get out of bed for the next two months, <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. but I did have the sense that the veil had been lifted, mm -hmm. the pretenses, you know, no one could pretend in the same way. The world did feel more dangerous, mm -hmm. uh, and, and just in everyday ways. But didn't uh, it feel better that now we weren't alone, that other people now knew? Other people now knew, and I have to say that I thought now, now, I was not surprised at the racism in the country. That just didn't no. surprise me at all. What surprised me is I thought that people would be so ashamed of it, they wouldn't vote for him. And then <laughs> right. and, and I just went, oh my God, white people have disappointed me. <laughs> you just surprised. Now, what, yeah. what has happened here that this, you know, I, I thought that shame would, that, People go, oh my God, this is the, he's such an idiot. He's going to get out there and embarrass us. We can, you know. And but, but if, I mean, we all have daughters, right? We all have daughters or mothers. Well, we mm -hmm. all have mothers, right? Right. Uh, but people voted for a man who, uh, I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, grabbing <laughs> yeah, people by the private parts and... Any, I mean, that, that, that actually was said, right? We, had, we, we know what was said and all the other things. I mean, they voted for him. They voted for him, but that's what I mean when I say people are addicted to identities. He was able to appeal to something else. They were, the, the issues did not matter. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, like, it's like when you look, people, it was sort of like, this is a person who sees me and is sort of kind of acting out a lot of the stuff that may be boiling around back there that I, you know, don't say, don't do. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the things that was really um, just, it was very sad to see a lot of the people that I have in my clinical practice are graduate students and in one of the Harvard schools. And the number of friendships, you know, first of all, hospitalizations went up um, you know, people, you know, psychiatric hospitalizations wow. went up mm -hmm. because friendships yeah. were just ripped asunder and people were thinking of this person that I've been in the lab with and the person that I considered my best friend and you did what? And, 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 wow. Yeah. So this is, we're talking about the, 
the millennials and the zennials, <laughs> that they were experiencing it as well in a really, really, really sad way because everybody just thought, okay, we'll just keep going along. We'll keep getting along along and, you know, stuff is out there, but we can all just still have a party. And we're in mourning, aren't we? Yeah. We're and in mourning from yeah. what we, what, who we thought we were as a country. And how we thought we could just keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said a few minutes ago, it's, you know, that part's over. Yeah. And here we are. And in some ways, you know, here's, here, here is an opportunity. It is an opportunity. Yeah. Right? Yep. We weren't looking for one, but <laughs> save like me I from opportunities. Now, you know? it's, like, it's like, you know, when someone says, oh, this will build your character. It's like, a, oh, I don't really want to do anything. He's going to build who wakes up wanting to do that? You know? yeah. yeah, we got to survive the trauma, but yeah. once we're out, I think we're going to be better. Yeah. I wanted to go back to uh, talking about when to speak up, and I kind of see two different things happening. On campus, there's a professor whose name I won't mention who has said that women and blacks make less in academia. Basically, he said something like that. And I think when somebody says something that's, that's egregious, and then I think, I really do want to speak up and say, no, I don't believe that. And then sometimes people will think something naive, or it's very hidden. Um, mm -hmm. Like at offices, um, people will say, oh, we can't hire that person because there was a typo. Even though in every other way, the person will be perfect. And then there's like a typo in what mm -hmm. they did, but it's a person of color, but we can't hire that person because there was a typo in mm -hmm. their application letter. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, ugh. Mm -hmm. I know, I don't know, maybe that one is egregious too. But anyway, sometimes I think people make naive mistakes. Mm -hmm. They say something, it just kind of comes out of their mouth and you feel like, okay, they didn't mean to say something as egregious as the person on campus who is trying to say something egregious. And I think there's a different way to handle those two mm -hmm. situations. Mm -hmm. One, you do want to kind of be educational. And mm -hmm. the other one, you do want to slap the person. <laughs> well, and, that, and that's interesting because there was something said this week about people not wanting to engage in anti-racism work because they were afraid of making a mistake. Because they didn't want to get slapped like the dummy that says those things at, or, or uh, seen as the same as. You know, like mm -hmm. if you're someone mm -hmm. who's trying to learn mm -hmm. and maybe mm -hmm. has some learning left to do. As we all do. As we, yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. I... I, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know, but that again, I that's do. like clinging to comfort, right? I I have an identity, I have this ego, and I want to do whatever I can to keep it burnished and be. I want to be seen as this kind of person. So the kind if, of person who gets it right. Yeah, the kind yeah. of person who gets mm -hmm. it right. I, you know, I'm like fiercely woke. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, to the extent to which. You know, wherever people are and what, whatever part of some political spectrum, you know, people fight hard to hold on to those identities, which often presents, prevents learning, usually prevents learning, because yeah. you've got to unlearn to learn most of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Could you close by talking about <laughs> relational cultural theory and what that means, um, Maureen, for you, Amy, and Don, um, and how that plays out here and how this plays out in your conversations and why, and, and why you're doing this and about the center you have and everything like that? Okay. 
you want to go first? Oh, I will. Uh, I was introduced to this theory or way of thinking uh, as a clinical intern in Texas. And um, all of our training is all about, you know, the suffering that comes that, you know, when people have these interpersonal ruptures and traumas. And I started reading, you know, Jean Baker Miller and what she was saying, and, but I was also reading critical race theory. And um, it occurred to me like, okay, I, I get it. Chronic disconnection is the source of most human suffering. Chronic disconnection, not disconnection. We need disconnections and conflicts to grow. But, and I thought, but it's so individualized. What if it is the culture that's the primary agent of disconnection? So, you know, what if, what if um, when I go to school, you know, I, I, my, my, my children were very fortunate to go to schools that were just totally overly resourced, right? Um, but what if I go to school and it's, first of all, really hard for me to get there, and then I can't do homework because there aren't enough books for everybody, you know, to have a book to take home, and uh, the teachers are buying their own chalk, and all of those, what am I learning about who I am and what my worth is in the world, and what's that level of disconnection like, and on how many, how does that sink into my thoughts about what I can hope for and where I belong? So I, the, the, the reason that it became so important to me is I started thinking, okay, we've taken this little psychology thing we do and it's such a privatized little industry here. And it, it almost puts, it puts blinders on, let's just talk about how, you know, what your attachment was like to your parents. You know, when it's like, you know, these, you're in a whole world. That's how I got really involved and really started to care about it and saying, you know, this is, the, this is the work that I want to follow and see how it can help uh, us grow on a much larger scale. And um, Mike Miller, who is Jean Baker Miller's um, widower, I guess, uh, is, he's always pushed and said, this work needs to go out into the world. We need to get it out of private offices and think about how it works um, works in the world. So that is what, you know, drew me to it. And then Jean had this challenging way of thinking that I think all of us uh, can um, learn from and, and, and try to live. Uh, but she would say, you know you are in a good relationship when everybody in the relationship has an opportunity to grow, irrespective of position in relationship. So if you are the teacher, you know, you know, of course, the relationship is to help the student, but you can't shy away from opportunities to grow either. So I think that's, those are the, I guess, the main attractions of the work to me. Yeah. So when it start, when you came into it, was it still like self in relation? It was still self in relation mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, I never told the people, talk about job interviews, I never told the people at Harvard this, but when I had an opportunity to interview and get a job at Harvard, I went so that I could be close to Wellesley and Jean. <laughs> they didn't know that. <laughs> I never told them. I retired from there. I still didn't tell them. <laughs> but yeah, that, is, that was the draw for me. And that's a, such a great explanation of the cultural piece of it. Yes. Right there. Yes. Um, 
And so the, the Bloomington Center for Connection, our, our work is applying relational cultural theory both to you know, the, the office setting, mm -hmm. but also to the community and, uh, and to Bloomington in particular, because it feels like Bloomington is a place where we can have these conversations and, and get real in them in a way that is growth fostering. And still keep our jobs. And still, and still keep, keep our keep jobs. Our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> My turn? Oh, I, you said something. No, I thought that's maybe all you were I said. No, on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. That was just, <laughs> no. I was, no, that's that was an amen to you to what you were oh. saying. Like you mm -hmm. know. Okay. Well, yeah. So we're having. We've had two relational summits. We've got another one coming up probably in May. It's going to be exciting, and um, where we where we try to engage with the community on what's going on locally and how we can use relational cultural theory to stay connected while we dig deeper, mm -hmm. which I think is hard because mm -hmm. I, for one, when the conver conversation gets really hard, I tend to wanna, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a runner, like I run away when it's mm -hmm. hard. That's my defense. Mm -hmm. um, so I rarely punch mm -hmm. it out. I'd probably have run out of the store going, As <laughs> <laughs> we all have right <laughs> so yeah rct has helped me remain in conversations right. and stay present and right. um and do a lot of really hard work yeah. about it that's what we have to remember though that when we think about conflict it's a confrontation of differences it's not combat yes yeah and in this in this sort of culture of ours sort of this western sort of <clears throat> culture of ours is like com we think of conflict as combat or conquest and mm -hmm. we, it doesn't have to be that yeah you know? nice. that is something that's hard I like, like that. not making it yeah the question was rc i still don't know what rct stands for <laughs> to be honest <laughs> i'm just here i'm here what to Cars I'm here to listen. Uh, yeah, I thought it was out of race cars or something. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, sure, Amy, I'll do that. I'll bring the Mini Cooper by. <laughs> so I signed up for something I had no idea about, but I've enjoyed it. Um, and you're teaching, and we're learning. Yeah, and, I, yeah, and I'm learning too. Yeah, yeah. and I'm it's not totally true. You, you do, because you kept telling me, oh, that's a great idea for Bloomington. You should do that. And I think it has been. Yeah. It has been a great idea for Bloomington, and I love that Bloomington has in, embraced it, you know? And look at all the people here. Yeah. Um, can we thank you for the space? Uh, yeah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> for, for those of you listening later, this, we're at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Bloomington tonight. And tomorrow, uh, Maureen is in the pulpit 9.15 and 11.15, so feel free. If you're listening, it's too late. But, um, <laughs> but you can probably find it in the archives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Oh, and thank you very much to Ned for doing all of our uh, tech stuff tonight. And I think he's been here all day. So, oh my goodness. Um, I'm and tomorrow. So I'm super grateful for it being so easy. <laughs> like it was super easy. So and thank you to everyone for coming and bringing questions and eating food and bringing food and all of the all of the community. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. So good to be here.
This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. This conversation between Dr. Maureen Walker, Don Griffin Jr., and Amy McKeese, LCSW, took place at the Unitarian Universalist Church in Bloomington, Indiana, on Saturday, December 18, 2020. It was recorded by Ned Joyner and edited for this podcast by Kevin McKeese. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. (laughs) 